So tonight we are starting a new series in the book of 2 Peter. And you might be wondering why 2 Peter? Why not 1 Peter? And why not another book? Why 1 Peter? Or 2 Peter? So two main reasons. The first is that, and this may be true for most of you, but my guess is that 2 Peter isn't on your list of best-known and best-loved books of the Bible. I'm, I'm more familiar with 1 Peter, but 2 Peter, I don't know a whole lot about. So I thought that might be your experience. Has anyone, does anyone really know 2 Peter? You've studied it in depth. You've done a, a book, a Bible, a Bible study on it. Raise your hand. How about 1 Peter? 1 Peter, is that a little more common? Okay, well, maybe we'll circle around and do 1 Peter. <laughs> so I thought, yeah, this is an unfamiliar book to me, probably to most of us. So that's one reason I picked it. The other, the other reason I picked it was because I was looking for a shorter New Testament book that wasn't written by Paul. And Paul wrote a number of letters, and you may know that I preached through the book of Titus, with Justin's help, I preached through the book of Titus. That was written by Paul, and so I was looking for a shorter book, and I landed on Second Peter. I've been trying to pick shorter, shorter sermon series from many different biblical genres. As a growing preacher, I thought that'd be helpful for me. So those are, those are two main reasons why we landed on Second Peter. And lastly, there will be a Q&A after our final song. So as questions come to mind, feel free to jot them down and that'd be a good time to ask them or not. It doesn't just have to be a question. It can also be a comment or something else that stood out to you. So that time will be coming later. Well, let's pray and then I'll read our, our scripture passage. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for for us, that we might be equipped for every good work, the men and women, the boys and girls of God. So we pray that you do that in our, in our midst tonight. Help us to love and see and enjoy more of our Savior Jesus and all of his glory and excellence. And we pray this in his name. Amen. So Second Peter, tonight we're looking at verses 1 through 15. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing... They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Peter wrote this letter to Christians who were like us. They were like us in many ways. These first century Christians were waiting for Christ to come back. They were opposed by the mainstream culture of their day. They were persecuted by the larger culture around them. They were troubled by phony Christians, people who claimed to be Christians but who didn't walk the walk. Think about ourselves. As 21st century Christians, we too are waiting for Christ to come back. We too are opposed by the mainstream culture of our day. We too are troubled by phony Christians, people who claim to be Christians but who don't walk the walk. People wrote this letter to Christians who are like us. Of course, not everything is the same after 2,000 years, but my point is simply that this letter is uniquely relevant to us. The situation of their day, in many ways, is like the situation of ours. Now, as we get started, it might be tempting to skip or skim read those first couple verses. We're not going to do that. We're not going to skip those first verses. There's a lot for us to learn in that greeting. So here are some of the things we learn. We learn that Peter wrote this letter. He calls himself a servant of Jesus Christ. In relation to Jesus, Peter is not the master. No, he's the servant. It's a title of humility, as you might guess. But to call yourself a servant, that's also a title of authority. In the Old Testament, people like Moses and David were called servants of God. Like Moses and David, Peter is calling himself a servant of Jesus Christ. It's a big deal, in other words, to be a servant of Christ. He's also, an, he's also an apostle of Jesus Christ. In relation to Jesus, Peter is not an imposter, but an apostle. He's an authorized representative. He's an authorized representative like a sports agent or a power of attorney. No one looks at a power of attorney's signature and says, eh, why should I care? No, a power of attorney's signature means something. A power of attorney is a, is a legal, authorized representative. So in a similar way, Peter is, is no bloke on the street. He, he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. This means that we should care. We should really care what he has to say. Then Peter writes, "...to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours." Peter is writing to an audience of, of mainly Gentile Christians. And if you remember, Peter was not a Gentile. He was a Jew. 
in the book of Acts, do you remember how Peter was slow to pick up on the fact that Gentiles could also become Christians? Maybe you remember some of those stories. With that in mind, listen again to what Peter writes. He says to Gentile Christians, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Do you see? Peter gets it. He gets it. He understands that Jewish and Gentile Christians stand on level ground. One is not better than the other. Why does that matter? Well, he's writing to people who are being persecuted. He's writing to people who are being opposed. And this truth matters to Christians who face opposition. It's intimidating to live in a culture that opposes the gospel. It really is. It's also hard when that culture begins to infiltrate the wider church. At times like these, we think, boy, I wish... I really wish I had the iPhone 12 version of the faith. Maybe some of you have, have that phone. I don't. But maybe I, I wish I really had the best faith out there. Peter is saying, look, there's no newer or better version of the faith. What you have is the real deal. So stand up. Stand up, Christians. We're in this together. Your faith is of equal standing with ours. The people... Those Christians needed to hear that. Equal standing. How have we obtained this faith? Peter says, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice what Peter is saying here about Jesus. He is both, he is both our God and our Savior. This is an explicit affirmation that Jesus is God. When you think of passages that affirm the deity of Jesus. You might think of Philippians 2 or Colossians 1. Well, here's another one. Our God and our Savior. And Peter says that we've obtained a faith by his righteousness. There it is. The righteousness of Jesus Christ. We saw from a passage like Isaiah 51 earlier in our call to worship that righteousness, in one sense, is synonymous with salvation. So we've obtained this this faith of equal standing by this salvation, by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We have this salvation only because Jesus Christ acted to save the righteousness of our Savior. Then verse 2 closes Peter's greeting. Listen again to his confident wish, his confident prayer. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. Knowing God. Knowing Jesus, our Lord. This is really the main purpose of the letter. Peter wants Christians in any time and place to know Jesus more. We are to grow in our knowledge of him. It's how the letter begins here in in verse 2. It's also how the letter ends. The very last letter of this verse says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Maybe you've heard people, maybe you're familiar with that verse or you've heard people pray that. May this person grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That person is getting it from here. Second Peter, this letter is all about growing, growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And it's a knowledge, as we'll see, that bears fruit. 
So let me ask you this question. Do you have what you need to grow? Do you have what you need to grow? Do you have what you need, in other words, to live a life pleasing to your Savior? Right here and right now. Tonight, this week, do you have what you need to grow? Some of you are gardeners. What do plants need to grow? Lots of things. Sunlight and water and good soil and heat and maybe fencing. All of these things are needed by plants to grow, to to bear fruit. So as you think about a garden, now think about yourself. Do you have what you need to grow? Do you have the sunlight, the good soil, the fencing that you need? Do you have what you need to please God, whatever your situation, period? Do you have what you need? Has God given you what you need? I'm asking this because we can sometimes think that God is not a very good gardener. God, you're not giving me what I need to grow. Let me explain. Here are some examples. I could grow and bear fruit if I had a better job. I could grow and bear fruit if my children obeyed me. I could grow and bear fruit if I had relief from my chronic pain. Or if so-and-so apologized, finally, for her sin. Or if I didn't have this mental illness. Or if my sibling was kind to me. I could grow and bear fruit if. If. What are those ifs for you? We all have them. It's as though God is holding back what we really need to grow and thrive. But do you really think that God is a lousy gardener? With that in mind, as we think about growing and do we have what we need to grow, listen again to verses 3 and 4. Verses 3 and 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. The point is simply this. God has given us all that we need to grow. Whatever it is, God has given it to us. We're not lacking. Our God is not a lousy gardener. He's, he's the master gardener. He knows exactly what we need. Now, we can't explore everything in these, in these two verses, but here are a few highlights. Uh, first, notice that it doesn't say His divine power has granted to us some things. No, all things. All things. All things. We have whatever we need to please Him. We have whatever we need to grow. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Peter goes on, Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. What are His precious and very great promises? Scripture, as you know, overflows with the promises of God. It is brimming and overflowing with promises. I will be your God and you will be my people. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Scripture is filled. It is overflowing with promises of God. 
So what does Peter have in mind? Great and precious promises. What does he have in mind? Well, in the context of this letter, it seems that Peter is referring to the promises of Christ coming again. Christ's return, Christ coming back. As we'll see later in chapter 3, there were people in the church, false teachers, who denied the coming of Christ. These false teachers said, where is the promise of his coming? I don't see him. Where is he? Prove it. But Peter, knowing their situation, writes this letter to assure believers that Jesus really is coming again. He is coming back. We'll see in verse 11. You will enter his eternal kingdom. There's a promise. According to his promise, later in chapter 3 we hear, according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's a promise. This, this world that we see and live in right now is not our final home. A new heavens, a new earth is coming. Yes, Jesus Christ is coming again, just like he promised. Peter wants to get that point across, just like he promised. And so that's why I titled this sermon, this sermon series, rather, We Await His Return. We await his return. We'll see again and again that the return of Christ is on Peter's mind. He wants it to be on the mind of his readers, his listeners. So these are his precious and very great promises. I didn't know that coming into this this letter. I had heard people speak about the precious and very great promises of God. And all of them are great and precious, aren't they? But here in the letter, it seems like the way Peter uses promise, it's all referring to promises of Christ coming back and what that will mean for the people of God. So these are his precious and very great promises. And why have they been given to us? Why why has God promised a new heavens and new earth? Why has he promised to come again? Why? Well, so that. Here's the purpose. And... And the result, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature. Peter's not. Peter didn't just watch a Transformers movie and and get thinking about and got uh, you know got to thinking about becoming like God or becoming God. No, God is the creator. And we are his creatures. That distinction between the creator and the creatures will never change. That doesn't change. So if you're wondering about what this means, how do we become partakers of the divine nature? Uh, One one theologian, Calvin, John Calvin, puts it this way. We don't partake of the divine nature in essence. However, we do partake of the divine nature in quality. Not essence, but quality. He's saying that we reflect the holy character of our God. We become holy as he is holy. In that sense, we partake of the divine nature. Or you can think about it this way. God created us, every one of us, in his image. He, as image bearers, he created us to reflect and enjoy his glory. But the fall marred that. Instead of honoring and delighting in God, we spit in his face and worshipped other things, other people. But what is the Spirit doing? What is the Spirit doing as he regenerates and saves people like you and me? Well, he's restoring that image. He's restoring 
the image of those united to Christ. Someone else says, Becoming like Christ, sanctification does not make us become more than human. Rather, men and women and boys and girls become fully and truly what they were created to be. We become fully and truly what we were created to be. It's like what the Apostle John says in 1 John 3 when he says, When Jesus appears, we shall be like him. When he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. That's what Peter is thinking of. So what's the point of these verses? Verses 3 and 4. He's opening this letter, and, and what's the point? The point is that God has given us all that we need to grow. Everything. You have all things that pertain to life and godliness. You have his precious and very great promises. You partake. You partake of the divine nature. You have escaped from the corruption of the world. So Christians, this is what God has done in your life. This is what he has done in my life. This is what's true of you. Now notice Peter's logic in verse 5. We looked at verses 3 and 4. Notice what comes next. Verse 5. For this very reason. For this very reason. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. So do you see what, do you see Peter's logic here? In verses 3 and 4, he just told us this majestic, he just gave us this majestic summary of what God has done. Here's what God has done. And now, starting in verse 5, Peter tells tells us what we must strive to do. The order is important. First, here's what God has done. And now, what must we strive to do? Make every effort, he says. Make every effort. Don't we make every effort for the things that are important to us? Becky and I right now are making every effort to help our children get the sleep that they need. (laughs) Is the temperature okay? Do they need fans? What about white noise? Should we put him down now or in a few minutes? We're making every effort, believe me. So make every effort. We're making every effort perhaps to grow a garden. We're making every effort to train for a marathon or a half marathon. Some of you might be making every effort to find a job or to find a better job. Making every effort to pursue your hobby, whatever that is. Make every effort. We make every effort in our lives. So Peter is saying, make every effort to love and obey God. You have what you need to grow, so grow. Grow. Make every effort. He's saying this becomes the overriding effort of your life. Make every effort. Add to your faith all of these things. Virtue. Knowledge. There it is again. Knowledge. Self-control. Steadfastness. Godliness. Brotherly affection. But especially add that last item on the list. Especially add love. As Peter says in verse 8, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, 
They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only can we grow, but we must, we must strive to grow. Listen carefully to what Peter says in these next couple verses. He warns those who are in the garden but who aren't bearing fruit. He's warning Christians, so-called Christians, in the garden who aren't bearing fruit. There's no harvest, season after season. In verse 9, Peter says that such a person has forgotten something. He is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. As we see in verse 10, such a person is in danger of not just stubbing his toe. He or she is in danger of falling. Here Peter is saying, this person is in danger of spending all of eternity in hell. He's in danger of falling. Peter has listed how we are to grow. And in verse 11, he says that by practicing these qualities, why are they so important? By practicing these qualities, we will enter the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Some of these verses might be startling at first. For example, what does Peter mean when he says that we can make our election sure? Or, I think the ESV has it, confirm your election. I thought my election was already confirmed. I I thought it was already sure. What is Peter talking about here? Well, your election is sure. It is sure. Peter is reminding us of a very important and complimentary truth. One person puts it this way. There is no salvation without accompanying discipleship. There is no salvation, absolutely no salvation, without accompanying discipleship. In other words, there is no salvation without taking up your cross and following Jesus. None whatsoever. Just like salt and pepper go together and other things go together, so faith and fruit go together. Faith and works go together. In other words, justification and sanctification always go together. As someone once put it, yes, we're saved by faith alone, but faith that saves is never alone. Yes, we're saved by faith alone, but faith that saves, true faith that saves, is never alone. Fruit is a necessary companion of true faith. Or as James says, faith without works is dead. Peter's aim is not to make Christians doubt their salvation. His aim is the very opposite, to make us assured of our salvation. It's when we see these fruits in our lives. It's when we see these qualities in our lives. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love. When we see these fruits, when we're in the garden bearing these fruits, we're assured that we belong to Jesus. This is how we know that heaven will be our final home. Practice these qualities, and you will make your calling and election sure. You will confirm your calling and your election. That's what Peter is saying. God has given us all that we need to grow. Everything. We're not lacking. So grow. Bear fruit. I can grow and bear fruit in my current job. I can grow and bear fruit when my children disobey me. I can grow and bear fruit despite 
whatever it may be, chronic pain, an unrepentant friend, friend, despite a mental illness, despite a brother's unkindness, despite any opposition and persecution we face in our wider culture. Make every effort. We have what we need. This is the earnest point that Peter wanted to drive home for his hearers. He's especially earnest because he's about to die. Peter is about to die. If, if you have your worship guides, turn to page 8. That's the very back page. I highlighted that earlier. Page 8, this, this helpful timeline highlights some of, the, some of the main events in Peter's life. And you look at the very bottom, notice what it says. Peter, after writing second letter, that's second Peter, Peter, after writing second letter, is martyred in Rome. As Pastor Troy preached this morning, I was thinking of the Apostle Peter. Pastor Troy preached on a passage in John, if you weren't there, and one of the themes of that passage is the world, the world's hatred for Christians. Pastor Troy told us about how most of the apostles suffered and were persecuted. Well, that was true of Peter. These words in Second Peter are really Peter's last words. Last words are significant. We pay attention to what someone says before they die. We're there at the deathbed. So there's a deathbed kind of earnestness to what Peter is saying here. He's about to die. What is he going to say? So starting in verse 12, here's what Peter has to say. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I intend to remind you, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. Do you see what Peter's saying? He's not saying, guys, I need to get on your case because you're slacking. He's not saying that. No, he's saying, you're doing a great job. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servants. You're, this is what God requires of you. Well done. And as I thought about this, it's a joy for me to to preach this passage and look around and, and say the same thing to you all. I'm reminding you of these things, but you know them. You're established in them. Well done. Well done. That's what Peter is saying. You are bearing fruit. You are bearing fruit. I want to remind you of these things. You're established in them. Keep bearing fruit. Bear fruit. Don't forget. Let me remind you. Remember these truths, he's saying. And he goes on in verses 13 through 15. I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Peter says something interesting here. He says that, the Lord Jesus Christ made it clear to him. If you have your Bible, please turn to the Gospel of John, John 21. 
you're wondering, well, wait a second, did when or did Jesus make it clear to Peter that he would die? Well, here it is, John 21, starting in verse 18. John 21, verse 18. Here's when Jesus made it clear to Peter. John 21, verse 18. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, to Peter, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus told Peter that one day his hands would be stretched out. In other words, Peter would die crucified on a cross. He would die crucified just like his precious Savior. As Peter writes this letter, 2 Peter, he's probably in Rome. The emperor Nero has probably started his persecution of Christians. Peter senses that his time for death, the time of his crucifixion, is coming. He sees the wave of persecution coming and thinks. He recalls what Jesus said. This is, this is it. And what are Peter's last words and what are his lasting words? What did he have to say? Christians, you have what you need for life and godliness. You have what you need. Can you imagine Peter on a deathbed, on a cross? Christian, you have what you need. I'm about to die. I'm going to put off the body. You have what you need. You have what you need for life and godliness. You have the precious and very great promises of our Savior. He is coming again. Don't doubt that. He is coming again. For this very reason, make every effort. Make every effort. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So those are Peter's last and lasting words for us. May we make every effort. For this reason, make every effort. Amen. Let's pray.